synaptic fiber. find that out later spoiler spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched these thanks <laughs> you ruined the spoiler for an 80 year old movie good god yeah exactly uh that stung a little bit that, that did that, like excuse me do i remember what a comic from the 80s looks like come on like archie are you talking yeah, archie no, and jughead you use you can sit down in the back and the adults are going to talk, okay? Good day and welcome to Synaptic Misfire. My name is JP and I'll be your host. The first chuckle fuck joining me today is Derek. Couldn't leave well enough alone, could you, you little twerp? No, you had to push it. Now you're gonna pay. Get him a body bag! Yeah! <sighs> and Eric. Each week we will take another look at a relic from our pop culture past. This week we will be looking at the Karate Kid. Just in case you haven't heard of the Karate Kid, we figure what better way to bring you up to speed than reading the back of the box. And yes, I mean VHS. Work causes a single mother to move to China with her young son in his what? new home. What's the boy embracing kung fu about? taught him by no, 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 arrives in Los Angeles from the East Coast and faces the difficult task of making friends. However, he becomes the object of bullying by the Cobras, a menacing gang of karate students, when he strikes up a relationship with Allie, portrayed by Elizabeth Shue, the Cobra leader's ex-girlfriend. But afraid to confront the dangerous gang, Daniel asks his handyman Miyagi, played by Noriyuki Pat Morita, whom he learns is a master of the martial arts, to teach him karate. Miyagi teaches Daniel that karate is a mastery over the self, mind and body, and that fighting is always the last answer to a problem. Under Miyagi's guidance, Daniel develops not only physical skills, but also the faith and self-confidence to compete against tremendous odds as he encounters the fight of his life in the exciting finale. This entertaining film is one the whole family will enjoy. All right, so sit back, relax, and join us as we wax on with the Karate Kid. <laughs> wax off. Left hand. You would think about waxing off with your left hand. What? The, dude, that's a lie Miyagi says. Hey, whatever. You got an elastic band wrapped around it. I'm just saying. It makes it all tingly. <sighs> Either you karate do yes, or karate do no. You karate do guess so. Just like grip. Before we get started, we wanted to share with you what it was about The Karate Kid that left the biggest impression on us. I, I loved this movie as a kid, and I'd taken a couple of karate courses uh, as a result of it and realized that it's definitely not for me. But I had this one birthday party where the theme was The Karate Kid, and we were going to watch all three movies, and everyone else had petered off to all these other things that were going on in the house at the time, and I sat there and I watched all three back to back. I think there was maybe one other kid that did it with me too. But no, I I love this movie. Actually, I don't remember this movie at all. I might have watched it on TBS once. I yeah, I don't think I've even seen it since I was a kid. So when when we picked this movie, I was like, okay, well, it's gonna be your you know your stereotypical 
kung fu kid movie and i was i was very pleasantly surprised i watched it with you guys and yeah i i really enjoyed it and then i watched it again last night with the cole family everybody seemed to like it so it's definitely one of those movies that holds up yeah kind of going back to jp's point i can kind of understand uh, where he's going with that he was basically talking about how this kind of helped influence him to get into karate and he's far from the only one it was one of the things about it how it was received in the first place was a lot of people joined karate after that movie came out i wasn't one of those people unfortunately but it caught my attention because pretty much my first day of school like in kindergarten and everything i was bullied and beat up and i dealt with that all the way through school so watching this movie was kind of interesting because I could really relate to Daniel and what he was going through. And eventually it did. It was one of the movies that did help influence me to get into martial arts and stuff. And it's it's timeless and it's great because the most interesting thing that it kind of does, you know, if you're if you're paying attention is, you know, what karate teachers bad and what karate teachers good out of it, because you get to see those two halves. What's even more interesting that I learned is this is actually kind of a semi-autobiography. Robert, uh, let's see, Robert Michael Kamen, who was the guy who wrote it. Um, this is kind of based on his life. Like he dealt with the same kind of thing. He was, you know, he had a tough time in school and stuff. And he ended up writing this on his perception. I'm sorry, that was Robert Mark Kamen. But he ended up writing it on his perception about his encounters with karate because the very first sensei that he dealt with was very much like crease and it was a big turnoff to him because you know the guy was running it like kind of a military-esque way and and he was very forceful and it was about destroying your opponent he eventually met a teacher that taught him and he this teacher was actually in a way related to chojun miyagi and chojun miyagi is actually like there's there's a documentary out there about the miyagi family and their influence on karate within okinawan society so the name miyagi within the in the movie is actually based off of some real history of uh how karate came to be and and it's i found that very interesting that that's what he kind of dealt with because you know he he dealt with a gang of bullies and all that kind of stuff so interestingly enough we're watching a depiction of somebody's life and i didn't know that but that you know it really resonates that the this is a kind of a true story of something everybody's had to deal with. Yeah, I'd say so for sure. Like uh, after watching it, there was definitely things you could pick up on. Like that whole kid moves away and he's telling his friends, you know, no, I'll be back. I'll be back. I remember when I, I moved away, I was the first, when I was little and then we went to a different school and I was like, okay, well, when are we going back? Because I, I hate it here and, you know, have a hard time making friends. So like oh, almost everybody's been through some of the stuff, if not all of the stuff that Daniel encounters when he first moved and then well daniel's a very relatable character uh everything about him from his mannerisms being the underdog and i think that's why he he really struck me at any rate for being such a uh, someone to look up to because he he could face his demons and was able to get that confidence and I, i admired that well, and it's it's a beautiful thematic movie that resonates with all of us because, like I said, it came from a true story. And all of us, well, most of us, have kind of had parts of that story within our own lives. And I think that's what really hit is between that and some of the brilliant acting that was done in this film 
and the very realistic acting like we all we all commented on that when we were watching it we were just like yeah that's you know they do a really good job of making it seem like they're very naturally this like you know his mom and his interaction with his mom is very natural uh his interaction with ali is very natural and and seems you know not forced and not a trope and not just a scene that's set up in lines that are made they they seem to be in a real conversation almost and you see that right off the hop right like when they get to their new home his mom's like does that little nervous hey we're here because she knows he's not too impressed with the situation so instead of like the the typical line of hey we have arrived or whatever she's got like a a nervous tone in her voice like she's kind of uncertain about how he's going to react and it's it's nice little tidbits like that that they throw in through their acting throughout the movie it's it makes it feel that much more real and right off the hop it really drew me in just to that whole nostalgic feeling of what it was like back in those days things were definitely a lot simpler and a lot less complicated at the top of the show you see these old 80s style cars um you see the clothing the plaid shirts that, and stuff they used to wear back then and even the music for the top of the show it was tailor-made for the scenes well and it's not just that that really resonates uh anybody who's watched that film gets to hear a wonderful score done by bill conti the music is just brilliant because unlike you know a lot of movies we, we deal with now movies back then used music to help tell the story and bill conti definitely exemplifies that because even at the beginning when he's moving from new york like coming from newark uh, out to los angeles you get to hear the music and the trip like you hear the journey as they're doing it through the music and so even if you're sitting there for basically a credit scroll um, you're still getting part of the story of the journey and you're still getting the feel of the journey from Bill Conti. You can actually hear the music shift go from like, we're on a journey, let's go on a road trip. And then it's like, now we're sleeping and it's a night time, we're taking a break and then back on the road again. Yeah, like they really, he really does this great job of exemplifying each moment that he's doing it with. And, th and then it's the same when he's starting to mix Miyagi and, you know, there's a mix of Western with uh, Eastern music kind of played in. They, they got uh, Zamfir to come in to do the the pan flute that you keep hearing whenever they're kind of relating it mm. to the Okinawan aspects of, of the movie. And it's it's so brilliantly worked in and well done. And, you, and at one point you're not thinking of it, but then at another you realize that it's definitely setting tone and helping tell the moment. And, and it was just brilliant to listen to. And, and it's a theme that, you know, I listened to the beginning of The Karate Kid. I don't even have to be looking at the screen. I know what's going on. Even the song like Cruel Summer that really spoke to the moment that was happening at the movie at the time. And that was such an iconic song that really took off from the whole show. And, it, and it's a song that actually hit big because of the movie. So Cruel Summer actually hit top of the charts uh, because it got introduced into Karate Kid. So all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, this song is really you know really good and really it it blew up it became popular it got another cover done uh many years later and it's something again if you hear it like if i hear it anyway i think of karate kid and again it sticks with me and that stuff that as you're saying doesn't happen anymore think about those movies from the 80s like you think top gun and and uh, back to the future ghostbusters they all have that song that just sticks out that you hear the music, you hear the beginning of it. Not only do you think of the song, but you think of the movie that's tied into it. And that's almost a, a lost art where they had the music and the movie, like a symbiotic type relationship. It's 
it, it, it was it was fun, right? It, it made it that much more entertaining. Put a smile on your face. You hear the song play on the mo- on the on the radio, or you know, much music or MTV, and and you're like, oh, I, I love this song. It reminds me of this movie, and it brings back more more memories, right? Definitely the association, yeah, yeah. And and this movie's even got more than one of them that we can associate with uh, between Cruel Summer and You're the Best Around, which again is another song I've only heard in this film. I've never heard anywhere else. And then there's an interesting tidbit to go with that. That was actually going to originally be the song featured in Rocky before they changed it to Eye of the Tiger. Oh. So it actually got rejected by Stallone, and then they turned around and they used it for Karate Kid. Karate Kid's like, yoink, fine, we'll take it. Mine now. Sylvester Stallone's trash. I'll I'll use it. (laughs) And not only is the music really good with this, the scripting is is fantastic because not only did they go with uh, getting a good tight script they made sure that there was a lot of actor chemistry they 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 had to see them work and interact together to know if this was going to be the person for the role they didn't worry about you know looks like oh we got to have this actor in because he's real pretty no we went with the people who who did what we needed them to do it's interesting how many people they also kind of almost went through to get to those people that worked well together. Like mm. for, for Daniel, there was Sean Penn, Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, what, what, Anthony Edwards, what? Tom Cruise, and Eric Stoltz were all considered long before Ralph Macchio. Um, but, oh. but Ralph Macchio's performance in The Outsiders is what really kind of convinced them, yeah, this is the kind of kid we want with it. You know, someone that, that you know, has that... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to go and, and shit on uh, Ralph Macchio too much, but kind of have that wimpy appearance, but with an attitude behind it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we almost ended up with other people like Crispin Glover was considered before William Zabka, and Demi Moore was considered before Elizabeth Shue. So just imagine how much oh. more fucking different that movie would have been if we had had those people. I can, no. I, I couldn't even begin. It would have been Hollywoodized back then, right? Like how we do with, with these movies nowadays. We just we just get all the good ones in. What's funny about you saying that uh, first timers coming up, this is actually the intro movie for both Elizabeth Shue and William Zabka. So this was the their very first film for both of them. Yeah. And yeah, like you're saying... The choices that they they had that they had made, they had a more real, like a lot of this movie is more real world based, right? Like these looks, they're just average people. Like look at Ralph Macchio, he's he's a uh, scrawny guy. Is you know half the time he's kind of got that awkward gaunt to him. The the mouth is kind of slacked open a bit, and and he's and he just has that attitude, that big chip on his shoulder from being moved across the country. And he's got the typical teenager attitude, right? Oh, uh, like who who here hasn't karate kicked a gate door open? Like <laughs> when you were a kid, I think everybody's done it. And then he and he smokes that kid in the head, and the kid's like, "Well, oh, you, that was pretty cool. Is that karate?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've I, I know a little karate." And then he goes, "Have you ever used it?" And he's like, "Oh, once or twice," because he's got to you know bolster himself up to the new kid, right? As as the new kid, right? And that's. Like, yeah, well, any kid would have done that. And that kind of lends to his fall later when he kind of loses all those friends immediately after he gets his butt kicked on the beach. And and that's kind of that. There's there's other lessons within there. Like, it's interesting 
how many different kind of lessons they've they've put through them. And we're probably going to go through it in this discussion. But, you know, the lesson there was a bunch of humility for Daniel, which was kind of needed because he kind of thought he was, you know, hot stuff to a point uh, when he confronted Johnny. I can be the white knight. I can save her, right? And then realizes, wow, he just got his butt kicked without even landing, you know, a, a good solid shot on Johnny except for the sucker punch. Well, and even that, that whole dynamic isn't the typical good guy, bad guy situation. Look at Johnny. Yeah, he's a hothead and he's been trained to strike, but he wasn't doing anything really ignorant. He just wanted to to talk to Allie. He wanted to figure out what was going on. She was, you know, turning her back to him every chance she got. So he was getting frustrated. At one point she goes to him or he goes to her, has her, her uh, stereo, and, he, and he, all he wants to do is talk to figure out what's going on. And he goes, if I give you your stereo back, will you talk to me? And she says, yes. So he hands the stereo back. She grabs the stereo, looks at him, gives him this snide smile, and freaking hits play on it. Well, of course he's going to lose his temper. I don't know. I've been, I'd have been pretty pissed off too. Well, it didn't help that Johnny's a, a hothead on top of that, and she she knew that going into doing what she was doing. But the thing that that made it even worse for Johnny is his reaction to Daniel was not really incorrect, and there and it wasn't good versus evil either. Like a lot of people would probably get that impression because immediately a lot of us side with the underdog, and Daniel was definitely the underdog. But the problem was is he kind of stuck his nose into it. He wasn't supposed to be in there. And he decided, I'm going to jump in there and help. And in Johnny's perspective, it's like, this has nothing to do with you. Why the hell are you here? And and so he he spends his first couple times just tripping Daniel and letting him go to the ground. And in all honesty, you know, as much as Johnny gets very aggressive later on with Daniel, at first he really just went at it in a self-defense approach. Mm-hmm. But it's not even necessarily Daniel's fault. His friend or the friends that were with him and the friends that were with her set the two of them up. They both know the history of her and what's been going on with her and Johnny. And they still set the two of them up. I, I, I blame the friends in this whole situation. Well, I, I don't know if they didn't know he was putting around and she's single at this point. Right. So obviously there's a connection there. They, they have an interest in each other. What's mm-hmm. the harm? Like apparently weeks, you know, they, they, you know, they'd been separated for weeks and it isn't until uh, Johnny and his friends show up is that's when the mood changes, right? Cause he's sitting there, they're, they're goofing around with the soccer ball. And as soon as she notices them, that's when she boots mm-hmm. the soccer ball away accidentally for him to go get. So really, I don't blame the friends. I think I blame her more than anything. Just working it both ways. Yeah. Well, she could have not instigated things with Johnny. She made it worse, whereas she could have just said to him, look, can we talk like another day, like tomorrow or something? Yeah. And they could have talked, but she decided, no, you know, I'm going to be kind of a taunt him. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's hard to say all that about Allie because she's kind of my first crush. <laughs> I, I really got a soft spot for her, so I, I don't want to trash her too much. But but at the same time, she's in full control of the situation. Like she could have easily gotten Johnny to kind of back off if she had said the right thing to him. But he decided to be a little bit aggressive with her. So then she decided to ramp it up and she knew how he was going to. She knew what what type of person Johnny is. And then it's just Daniel stepping in and thinking he's doing the right thing. He's just trying to help, yeah. Well, but he's making it worse because he's full of his own kind of piss and vinegar. And who threw the first punch in that situation too? Well, no. Now, that that's, if you really want to get into it, uh, 
he didn't. He didn't get the first punch in. He tried to, and Johnny tripped <laughs> he him. He swung first. He tried to again. Johnny tripped him again. Then Johnny kicked him a couple times, and then he got the sucker punch in, right? And then that really pissed off Johnny. So Johnny went to town on him. And and that's kind of the thing is, you know, he, he, he kept going at Johnny, and Johnny, in a way, responded properly in terms of defending himself. He, he took it to where he thought he was done, and then... Daniel would turn around and start going at him again. And it's just like, okay, well, I, I've obviously got to hit you harder, right? So that that scene, as much as, you know, everybody in that scene is doing what they think is right from their perspective. And that's what's interesting about this movie is as much as we can, you know, in simplistic terms, yeah, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. We want to root for the quote unquote hero. And that's Johnny. But at the same time, yeah, it's Johnny. But at the same <laughs> time, Johnny. it's it's such shades of gray here. Like as you get older and you look at the movie again, and you're like, who's really at fault? And really, it's just, you got to keep one thing in mind. It's a bunch of teenagers and they're doing what is pretty much teenage stuff, right? They, they're not acting like older people who would probably talk some stuff out and and uh, figure out things without having to get all violent. No, they're they're a bunch of young teenagers, and they're acting just as as as, uh, as teenagers do. As teenagers do, and we've all seen it. Like we've all gone to high school, and th- and that's the other thing that kind of resonates with this movie. You know, as you go through the ages and you get old enough to understand, and then you get older and you look back at it. That's where you can start picking up all the the differences. And so it's timeless in the sense that as a younger person, you can enjoy it for one reason, and you get older and you can enjoy it for another seeing all the different shades of gray. And then after this scene here at the the beach, there's um that's where we get the cruel summer song and they're all outside and they're playing soccer or something like that and the outfits that they're wearing. Oh my god, I forgot how terrible the gym outfits used to be back then. You know, and the short shorts <laughs> and the ripped off sleeves. It's pure 80s. It, it, you, like we said, you can't deny that it's a pure 80s film when you watch it. Like it is quintessential 80s the funny thing is we're all old enough to remember those styles you also look at it and go oh i wore that when i was younger and it's so mirrors reality for especially for what we remember did they even have a costume designer or was it all just hey you wear whatever you got in your closet today bring it to bring it to work yeah. yeah, well, they, I mean, to a point, they probably could get away with some of that, but I'm sure it was planned to a degree. Like when, when you see the skeletons, the, when you see the Cobra Kai show up and, and they're all wearing kind of similar red leather jackets and stuff, you know, that's, that's showing mm-hmm. their team unity to a point. And, and, uh, Daniel's choices of constantly wearing a plaid overshirt, I'm sure that that was planned as well. Hey, hey, <laughs> I rocked that in elementary school and I made that shit look good. Yeah, did you, did you wear the headband too? No, I was I wasn't that cool. He wasn't headband cool. He was crane kicking everywhere. I can just imagine it. Well, maybe. No. Yeah. What? No. Yeah, yeah you are. Yes. Trust me. Yeah. See. <laughs> I really enjoy how well they interact with each other because there's another spot here coming up where his mom and him are having a conversation and just the way they they talk to each other and the nuanced behavior, they have a lot of that chemistry. You can see that there's that caring. The the mom comes in, gives him a kiss on the top of the head, and he just kind of like eh, pulls away a little bit, but you know, doesn't totally over exaggerate. Yeah, he doesn't have that big old oh mom, ew, no. That's, yeah. But that's one of the things I think we go back to a lot about this movie is chemistry. Chemistry mm. 
makes and breaks a movie. If your actors and actresses don't have chemistry together, it's it's hard to get into. But this, oh, like they had great chemistry all across the board. Like even say um, Johnny and Allie, they had definitely had the you know the tension between them because of of their past relationship. And then you know the uh, relationship between Allie and Daniel, you sort of had that you know long young love the the puppy dog eyes with each other and and they joked around and they talked and and there was you know they, everybody played off so well it was great well and and in every group too it's interesting that uh like as a side note it's interesting that they also worked a lot apart from each other and and worked with the groups they were supposed to be with so in terms of like the uh, martial arts training uh pat johnson is the guy that ended up doing a lot of the uh, choreography and he is a Tang Sudo karate black belt and he's featured in the film as as the referee at the end and uh, he took them and he, he literally split them into groups because he wanted to teach karate in different ways to them and this kind of helped them develop the type of characters they were going to become and so they started to play well off of each other because of it so the Cobra Kai kids were all taught separately from when he taught um, Daniel Daniel and and Miyagi, like when they taught when he taught uh, Ralph and Pat how to do karate, so they had different kinds. You know, he did very militaristic with the the Cobra Kai kids and made them you know follow a certain regimen and discipline, and then he would turn around to Pat and Ralph, and you know they'd relax and they'd stretch and they'd take <laughs> time, and and they would they would be more relaxed with each other, and so you get those senses of that kind of chemistry between them, right? You know, as Daniel develops his relationship with, with Miyagi, you see him become a more centered and calm person. He finds himself better uh, because he's got that guidance. Whereas the Cobra Kai kids, you know, you can see where they're all high, intense, high energy. They think they're the shit and they, they don't mind showing everybody that doing it all the time. They're with each other all the time. They're hanging around with each other all the time. They're, they're all thinking as one unit pretty much. And so it was interesting that they did that. And I'm sure they kind of did that in terms of the acting, like, like you were saying with Daniel's mom, you know, like it was really well done. You, you can look at it and you can almost believe that they're actual real mother and, and son. Randy Heller is, she's a, a heck of an actress. You know, she, she came off so naturally that you, you wouldn't believe that anything but that they were mother and, and son. I, I didn't know the difference. Even the character Crease, he came off as very militaristic. Like you see those pictures of him in the military and the, uh, the gun on the wall as they're they're walking into the dojo for the first time. And he's sitting there like just barking orders at his students. Like you were saying, if that's part of their training, then that helps give them that, that motivation behind their characters. Well, he's a hell of a character too. Like how we said, everybody has their own, how they play off of each other. Him, it's just, he embodies fear. Oh, his students are scared shit. They respect them, but they, they're scared shitless of him. Like, and you'll see that later on down the line where he'll do something or say something that they kind of question, but no one dares to say anything and even as a viewer you kind of you look at him and he starts talking he's very imposing mm -hmm. well and that was another smart move on pat johnson's uh part he separated uh martin cove from everybody as well so martin cove didn't even get to really meet the cobra kai uh kids until they started filming so when you see him kind of walk up to them and they're all nervous around him and you know they're like giving him looks it's because a they don't know how much karate he knows like if he's been trained in it before or not they don't really know anything about him mm -hmm. and and then the second was they didn't know what type of character he was going to bring up till then they had do, been doing his lines 
for them to do their lines, but he hadn't ever actually been there. So they wanted to keep him kind of a secret. And then they brought him in and he's wearing his gi and he's got his hands tucked into his belt and he's doing that slow but methodical walk to really emphasize, you know, I'm power. Then they unleash a fully prepared crease on their students. It's crazy. I bet they were crapping their geese. Well, they look like they were, were too at certain points. You know, he's getting in their face and he's doing his line, you know, like telling him about fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei, you know, and he's making sure he's there to get in their faces and make them feel kind of uncomfortable, but they're supposed to stand there and just kind of accept it and and know that it's coming. And, and so he wanted to really intimidate them to make them feel intimidated later. And he did a good job. Oh, it's brilliant. And oh, Martin man. Cove, if, if you get to see Martin Cove on a regular day, he's a very approachable, gentle guy. <laughs> but in this, but in this movie, he's got a stare. Like there are certain points when the camera's on him and he's got this glare. Oh yeah. You're like, holy shit, this guy is the pure representation of evil in this movie. Well, even when he gives these those relaxed looks, like he's sort of gauging you. It, it's it's he's analyzing you and trying to figure out, you know, how to take you down or something. I don't know, but just just that relaxed look alone is, is freaking intimidating. I don't think there's any moment in that movie where he doesn't come off as anything less than and it's it's pure attitude from him too like comes up to you and goes you know here or on the street or in competition a man faces you and he is the enemy we do not train to be merciful here mercy is for the weak here on the street in competition a man confronts you he is the enemy an enemy deserves no mercy and the enemy deserves no mercy like he's he gives that throughout everything he does his every action his every movement is like he's planned for war. And that really gets emphasized by seeing the picture of him. You know, he's a Vietnam vet. And and in his mind, he's come back from that. And everything's the enemy. Outside of Cobra Kai, everything and everyone is the enemy. That's probably why Miyagi, he looks at him as, as such a, a foe. Well, and, it, and it, Miyagi's attitude changes when he meets him. Because at first, they went there to just talk to him about getting Cobra Kai kids to leave Daniel alone. And instead, you know, Miyagi gets to meet this man face to face. And then when he comes up and he approaches him and he like he has all of his students behind him in a in an act of force, basically, Miyagi realized what he was dealing with. And he knew at that point just asking him wouldn't be enough. And that scene was great, too, because Miyagi, he he did what he said. He went into full karate mode and he did not take his eyes off his opponent. If you watch him in that scene, he doesn't even freaking blink. He stares at him the whole time. He needs to be ready for Crease in case he decides to attack. And it's funny too, like how we mentioned earlier, how the the conflict between Johnny and Daniel. There's no real bad guy there, but if you look at Crease and Miyagi, there's your light and your dark. There's your good and your bad. And it just goes to show that people are a product of their environment, right? Like it, it depends on if they're if say if their teacher is more like Miyagi, they might not have been as hot tempered. They would have been more centered, and things might have developed in a different way. Whereas say Daniel had gone into Cobra Kai, he wouldn't have been the same guy. Well, and that's what Robert Mark came in was trying to emphasize was he was showing the the type of teacher you probably shouldn't look for versus the type of teacher you should look for. And that's why he wanted the light and dark to be them. Everybody else is a scale of gray in between, but you've got Miyagi as the ultimate good guy and the type of sensei you should want to find when you do martial arts. And then you have Kreese sitting on the other end and in their worlds, they influence their students very differently. 
and they come with different outcomes. And so, like you said, a product of their environment. When they had that face-off in the dojo, you can see the difference in the way they held themselves, the way they stood, the way that they responded to how they were talking to each other, because Kreese was still being very offensive. He was still on the attack, even in what he was saying to Miyagi. And Miyagi was very much on the defensive, but still trying to, you know, get to that point where he protects Daniel from the danger. So he comes up with the best solution that helps keep Daniel out of trouble for a while, right? And that's the ultimate goal of martial arts. So even in in that conversation they were having, they were demonstrating martial arts in two different forms. The sort of the peacekeeping martial arts versus like the the attacking martial arts that everyone seems to want it for. Yeah, everybody wants to be the big bad, but in essence, that's not what it means. Karate was meant for defense only, to get out of the situation alive, not to stand and fight. No. Oh, but I want to learn karate and bust some ads. And you want to break some bricks with them? Ah, that looks like it. <laughs> and we had touched on, on the main actors and how well the acting and script writing is done but it's not even just them there is so much really good side acting and and things happening in the background like even the characters that may have only had one or two lines throughout the entire movie you could tell were a fully realized individual in that actor's mind they were playing that role you could see their expressions and how they reacted to the situation going on around they weren't just standing around waiting for their cue it was it was really well done they played it off really well. They're just a bunch of kids. Like even all the school shot scenes, you'll have the focus on, uh, say, Daniel, and he's looking around. And you'll see Allie interacting with her friends or Johnny interacting with their friends. They're not just, you know, you know that typical, he'll look around this, the room and you'll see his opponent and his opponent will make eye contact with him. And they'll just sort of glare at each other or there's like, no, they don't even acknowledge each other. They're they're in the room. They're just living their lives. They're doing their thing. And it's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's an actual like a school environment. Well, and just a lot of their interactions are very natural with each other. You know, when Daniel and Allie are with each other, the more they grow attracted to each other, the more they have hidden glances at each other. I don't know if you noticed that, but a lot of times, like, especially with Allie, like Daniel will be looking and doing something else. And then she'll kind of look him up and down and have that kind of look in her eye. Like, wow, you know, I'm really, you know, infatuated with this guy. Biting her bottom lip and yeah, she did all the small signals that seem very natural, and it, and it added to the beauty of the realism that they really tried to bring to the film. Uh, same with Johnny later when he sees Allie and Daniel together at golf and stuff. You know, he he sees them, and then he sees that they're holding hands, and he has this reaction that you're not paying attention to because somebody behind him is actually delivering lines to Allie. So normally you kind of focus on who's speaking, but you see him, and he kind of like sees the hand holding, and then he kind of looks to the ground a bit dejected, and then he brings himself out of it because it doesn't want to show weakness in front of anybody, right? So it's little things like that all throughout the film that are brilliantly done. And even the side characters you were mentioning, because, you know, we we talked about the Cobra Kai and how those side characters aren't your typical bad guy entourage. No, they aren't. Um, and going back to those, those friends, that first fight that he gets into where they give uh, Daniel the black eye, um, you can hear them talking like, oh, no, no, man, no, man, he's had enough. And and just like some of them have a conscience. And there's that one kid who's freaking a maniac. Well, you always, <laughs> you always got that one instigator in the group, eh? That likes to like, that likes that little bit of trouble. You'll see, you know, someone will get into it and he's like, oh, kick his ass, kick his ass. Because he just wants to see him 
beat the shit out of somebody. And yeah, they all have different personalities. Like there's the one guy that's in that sort of restrains Johnny. It's almost like his conscience. And you see him at the end of the movie uh, when we get to there, I guess. You, you show <laughs> that he's not just one of the mindless groups, not just a thug and in the crowd mm-hmm. yeah that was that was bobby and bobby like we we kind of talked about the difference of the characters so bobby's kind of the only guy that's not as cobra kai as the rest he's not really wanting to attack anybody he's got a good conscience and he tries to be the voice of the group but then you got people like dutch and he's the psycho uh and then you've got tommy and he's the one that's always giggling and like he's a sadist like he wants to <laughs> pain and they both spur on uh, Johnny, but you can even see at certain points, Johnny's struggling with what he should do next, right? And to a point, he's kind of pressured by the other two to to make the wrong decision. Because once he gets hot-headed, that's when he's unreasonable. Mm-hmm. That that plays throughout no matter what. Like even if you know anybody's grace to later watch Cobra Kai, the series, uh, it doesn't change. You know, he's fine until he gets hot-headed, and then he's more unreasonable and he's more likely to do something rash and so those two push him to do it and as much as bob bobby tries to talk him out of it he can't yeah and you know what it is once you start losing your temper someone starts feeding you bits and pieces to sort of egg you on it's nine out of ten times it's gonna work the after he gets run off the road his bike is all trashed i like how he throws the bike into the dumpster like it's the bike's fucking fault he's all mad at the bike then he throws a little hissy fit on the wall and then eventually we get to um the first real interaction between miyagi and daniel and and we kind of get that first lesson where he he teaches him peace well, let's let's take a step back here. If if that was me throwing a perfectly good bike out like that, I'd have had my ass kicked. Yeah, it's amazing his mom didn't actually like go off the chain on him about that. It's like whoa, 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 whoa! Those cost money, young man. Get that out of the dumpster right now. And it's very, <laughs> it's made very aware throughout the movie. They do not have a lot of money, so he's sitting there and throwing his fucking bike out. Man, your hide's going to get tanned. And you know what? It's the 80s. There's going to be a belt or a wooden spoon involved. He's going to be fucking hurting. Hey now, hey now, hey now. We're trying to we're trying to bring back the magic of the 80s, not the the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's I'm just saying I saw him do that and my ass started to hurt because I knew Red ass patronum. Uh, yep. Yeah, you don't just throw a bike out. But regardless of that, like, you know, he he goes on another he he loses it about the whole entire being there thing and that's another brilliant scene because again we felt when we were watching it you know ralph really pulled it off like every little nuance every little thing that he did in his his uh flip out about being there was brilliant you you really felt he was exasperated and he was at his rope's end because you know this is the second or third time that he's been physically uh, altercated with with this group and he's just now at a point where he's just like that's it i'm done i want to go home i want to go where everything's familiar like because you saw him when he left and he had all those people that were waving by as they're leaving and stuff like that and that's what he wants he wants the familiarity and here he's only come across one person that kind of kind of likes him and at the same time is kind of his enemy's ex-girlfriend so it doesn't put him in a comfortable position right it totally makes sense to have that sort of reaction i mean it's like you said he's getting his ass kicked on like a, a daily basis he's someplace he doesn't want to be he's in a in a home that you know it's it's kind of worn down i don't know what his place looked like in in new york but that was home regardless of where they lived was a dump or not that's what he knew that was his home now he's in a different place 
no real friends, um, constantly getting trounced. Of course, he's gonna he's, he hit his breaking point, and which is why you know when JP brought it up, meeting Miyagi was good because he's missing a lot of things at this point. His mom definitely reminds me of my mom, like the whole single mom kind of thing. It's really really hard because then you're trying to play both parents, and it's really difficult to make a balance uh, with somebody who you know, is a fairly hot headed kid. And I kind of, I kind of had the same interactions with my mom. So it kind of, again, it, it, you know, as I got older, this movie hit more home and she's trying her best, but there's still something missing. And that's when Miyagi comes in and he, now he's filling like a dual role. Uh, he eventually fills a dual role. He fills the role of an older mentor, mentor figure that he's kind of missing with his dad who's been gone uh, because his father died. You find that out later. Spoiler, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched these. Thanks, <laughs> you ruined it. Spoiler for an 80-year-old movie. Good God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you say 80-year-old movie? Yeah, wow. What are you doing? What are you movie doing? Movie from the... Okay, I'm sorry. I feel old, okay? <laughs> well, you I look old, old too, so... Yeah, yeah, you got that. Well, yeah, you're not <laughs> far behind there, buddy. Actually, I think I'm ahead of him. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... You get you get back to to Miyagi, and he fills that role of a mentor, but he's also trying to give Daniel something that obviously he doesn't have because in that interaction outside and and outside the building, you know Miyagi hears everything because he had his wall pounded on, and then he went to the door and kind of listened, and he heard what was wrong, and so he knew that this young man didn't have balance, and so then there's the scene with the bonsai trees. And he's sitting there and the bonsai tree is interesting because he's trying to get Daniel to express his inner self through the tree. What is your inner peace? Now make it into the tree. And he doesn't say it in those words, but that's exactly what, what's going on. And he's giving him focus to put himself somewhere. Yeah, because uh, Daniel is so lost and confused and he has he has so many things he's trying to figure out and learn and figure out where he places that being able to focus on one thing like that and and find the peace just it, it's it's everything he needed well this is this is where he gets that balance this scene with him with mr miyagi and the bonsai tree this is the calmest and most content you see him pretty much in this whole movie he's he's sort of yeah miyagi sort of broken down that walls a bit for him like he's trying to it's like you say he's trying to find his place in the world right i think everybody at that age is that's what they're trying to do and he's obviously not in that place so miyagi kind of you know helps him open the door and he sits there and he's calm and he's and it, and it not only that but he finds a safe space as it were because now as you see later on he starts he starts hanging out with Mr. Miyagi. He comes home from school. He's not he's not hanging out with any other kids. He's hanging out with Mr. Miyagi. And that's because he feels safe there. Yeah, and if you look in the background in this scene, you can see the shower curtain that they use for the costume that's coming up. Oh yeah, they eventually get get to that. I, I love their placement of props in this because they always make it look like it was used like at, at the beginning before they make it into the shower curtain, they're talking about the dance and you see the the hoop there and the the extra faucet and a lot of fabric. And then afterwards after he's been recovered by miyagi after the the altercation um you can see what, what's left of the shower curtain in a different location kind of just stuffed there like you know well we're finished with it so we'll put it there because it's now mostly used yeah it's nice that it's not just something that they pulled out of their magic asshole right it's it's something that was part of the scenery part of the show and they used it and it helped move the story along not like ash and his shotgun where it just mysteriously appears and disappears right you actually see the shower curtain you know where it came from 
Well, yeah, and and it's nice that they put in those little touches, even though, you know, realistically, whether you saw them or not, it wouldn't matter as much. But it's nice that they went the extra mile to always try to keep as much as they could consistent. It's nice to see something like that acknowledged, right? That was actually a pretty sweet looking costume. Like you got the shower head and you got the tinsel coming down to make it look like water. And it does exactly what he wanted to do was hide his face. He didn't want to be noticed, even though that was probably the most noticeable costume there. Yeah, all I ever got when I was a kid was like one of those one of those face masks and then like a plastic cape that broke in the cold. <laughs> Remember those? I had my snowsuit with a paper Ghostbusters logo stapled to the side of it and a plastic Kenner Proton pack. <laughs> So that was that was my Ghostbusters suit. Yeah, his was totally more inventive. A shower walking through. I like how Ali actually picks him out that it's him. And it's like, how do you know? And it's like, oh, I just know. And it's like, yeah, because he's always <laughs> trying to hide. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. Spineless fucking. You know, Johnny wouldn't have been hiding behind a curtain. Johnny was hiding in a bathroom rolling a joint. So <laughs> they're doing their own version hiding that chicken man i would have been so pissed at him running around squishing eggs on people i i wouldn't have taken it as nicely as daniel did he went into the bathroom and starts to wash up and that's when you see the skeletons in the closet <laughs> well and then again this is like nothing had really happened between the the bike runoff scene and and this and once again we see an example of daniel feeling the need to get back at johnny and Johnny, like like I said, he wasn't. He's only bad when he's hot headed. So again, he kind of pisses him off, and then he wonders why he gets his butt handed to him. Like he he goes through the trouble of uh, dousing him in water, and then and then you know he gets chased through the field, makes it to the end of the fence, and then they start kicking the crap out of him. And I'm like, quit aggravating him. Like that's that's the only unrealistic thing I kind of see is I would never have tried to aggravate the guy that kept kicking my butt at school. Like there's no way I always tried to avoid him. Right. And that's what he was doing up until that point. And he thought it would be okay. And you know, like that was uh, like watching a train wreck happen in slow motion for him, putting that hose up into the rafters to lean right down on Johnny who's sitting there rolling the shittiest fucking joint. I think I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this terrible, pathetic little pinner. Like, man, I guess that is the 80s, whatever. Then on the way out of the bathroom, you get a Miles Morales cameo. Yeah, that's not what happened. It's, it, was, it wasn't even a good Spider-Man costume because you got no. the mask and you're like, that's all wrong. <laughs> well, that's I think what... they can go so far before they're going to have to start paying for rights. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 25% <laughs> different. Remember that in Hollywood, people. Um, but no, you get to that You get to that point where you once again get to see the different personalities of the Cobra Kai when they're kicking the crap out of Daniel. Yes. Oh, and as another side bit, I love this part. I never knew it until I, I watched the special features, but it's actually a stunt woman who has to dive over the car for Dan on Daniel's behalf. Um, <laughs> and we all noticed it as soon as I mentioned it, because I'm like, that's a stunt woman. And then you can see that she's kind of got her hair pinned Big back. curly and fro going on. And man, I tell you, I didn't know Daniel had such a nice ass. Exactly. <laughs> well, they couldn't find anybody else slim enough to do Daniel, except for maybe another teenager, which they can't do. So they got a stunt woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, like you get to see those personalities crop up again when he's getting his butt handed to him. And again, we've got that scene, you know, like, like uh, Tommy's holding him up and, and, you know, like finish him, Johnny, finish him. And then, and then, uh, you know, uh, then you got uh, Bobby trying to talk him down and tell him like, you know, this isn't right, Johnny, man, he's had enough. And he's like, I decide when he's had enough, man. And then, and then, you know, Dutch is like, no mercy, right. 
right, right, right. Well, yeah, because that's how they're trained. Yeah, like they, but but they they all have their different reasoning as to why they're doing it, right? You know, and and that again becomes apparent. And I love those side characters for it because normally when we see a bad guy entourage, when we see the jock with his entourage of people, they're all just bad carbon copies of him. Oh yeah, they they all would have been like kick his ass bad yeah like none of yeah. them would have even thought to stop him yeah so the very fact that they actually had that interaction where there's you know bobby's doubts and then the other ones are egging him on and even johnny's hesitating for a moment because you know he's not sure whether he should continue with what he's doing or not but then he decides to uh well and that goes to show the character right like throughout the movie you can tell johnny has a conscience it's just there's always that one thing pushing him off or pushing him to, to do the stuff that he does, to, like, to retaliate how he does and whatnot. But even in the enemy circle, there's that one kid who's like, no, man, Johnny, he's had enough. He's got enough. Doesn't he eventually just sort of leave or is he just sort of like really wanting to get out of that situation? No, because he still wants to stand with his brothers too. And, and that's yeah. the hard part is these are still the closest people to Bobby. Like these are his brother in arms, if you want to take it in that kind of sense, because that's what Kreese trained them to be. Yeah. Your brothers in arms, Cobra Kai is a unit, a military unit. And so they they gain that bond. It's no different than when we watch other movies where we see differences in people in in things like Platoon or movies like that, um, where there's different types. There's always different types. There's the psycho who likes to just, you know, kill all the bad guys, and then there's the <laughs> idealist and he, you know, he prays to God and stuff. They do that all the time because those are real people out there. They all have a different opinion, regardless of the fact they're meant to be one unit. And that goes to show you their training, like you were saying. You always see them together as a group. You, I don't think you really ever see them separated where there's just like a couple of them here or there. They're, they're pack animals. But they're all joined at the hip because that's how they were trained to behave. Well, and, and like I said, you could see it earlier. Like Johnny's wearing a, a higher end red leather jacket when he's riding around on his bike. And they're all wearing like lower end because they're not quite as rich as Johnny is. So they're all wearing kind of discount versions of it, but they're all trying to look the same. They're all trying to be the same. They're all trying to walk together. They're all talk together. They all do everything together. They back each other up. Even, even Bobby, as much as he doesn't want to back him up sometimes, he still does because these are the people he's supposed to be standing with. And there's a lot of clever editing here when Miyagi jumps the fence and comes in and kicks everybody's ass because um, he's he's an old man and he's not necessarily the greatest at karate, but he has to take on all of these kids. No, I, I think he did a really good job considering what you kind of learned about uh, uh, Pat Morita is when he was younger, he had an actual uh, leg condition where he had like uh, bad hips and stuff and he had to have a few surgeries to kind of fix all that. So the very fact that he could do pretty much all of his own fight choreography was very impressive to me. And and he does it, they make sure that he does it in a way that he doesn't have to do big flair. I kind of like this movie for that is there wasn't too much flair. A lot of the movements you see are real karate movements. We're not trying to make it look Hollywood-esque and give the big spin kicks all the time. We're just we're just trying to get them to do what's functional. Yeah, this is definitely pre-crouching tiger hidden dragon era. Right? Absolutely. And and I'm and I'm fine with that. I like the grounded uh reality of the fights and I like that they had them drawn back enough you could see everything going on and there wasn't quick edits and quick cuts to try to make Miyagi look way better than what he was. They showed him raw, but I appreciate it because it still worked. Well, it worked perfect for this movie. It goes back to all the bits of realism that they've thrown into this movie. A lot of shows you'd have seen them 
jump over top of the freaking fence and would have kicked some of the kids in the head and, you know, spin kicked another kid. And But no, it was very, like, there was nothing flashy about it. And that was great because there's nothing flashy about this movie. Less is more. Exactly. Less is more. So if there was any bits where he had have gone, like you said, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I think it would have taken away from the movie greatly. Mm-hmm. No, overall, this movie had a very real down-to-earth vibe about it. Well, and at, yeah, least that they, at least they tried. That's yeah, probably more important. And I, and I like that Miyagi did all of his own stunts, except, I think, for when he was doing the crane thing. Uh, there was a few um, things that he couldn't do, and that's where they had Fumio Demura come in as his stunt double. And uh, Fumio Demura is like a ninth Dan Shitoryu karate instructor who had also worked with Bruce Lee back in the day. So he he had the same type of body type and everything. And yeah, he did the the crane kick on the post and he did uh, a couple other things, very, very quick little things. But but for the most part, I'm glad they could put Pat in there and you could see Pat doing it in Pat's face. And, you know, it's a real dedication for a guy who really wasn't going to be chosen to be Miyagi at all. no. This this was a guy that they didn't want because uh, they kept thinking, oh, he's just a comedian. He's just a comedian, right? And that's all he was. And for him to come in and put in the kind of work he did and bring real dramatic gravitas and bring real karate, his own karate, into it and still sold you on the idea that he was a karate master speaks volumes about uh, the type of dedication he put to it towards proving them wrong. And it's crazy. Like I've never heard him without his accent until just this past week. And he speaks perfectly fluid English. It, it threw me off. Like you see Miyagi, but he doesn't sound like Miyagi. So <laughs> the way he was able to pull off that accent and not that over-exaggerated Asian-style accent was incredible. Not for comedic effect. He, I, I guess he, he mimicked one of his uncles who spoke very little English and had that kind of broken broken accent. I, I'm not going to do it, but he... He just picked it up really well, and it went with him and his character. Well, and and what's sad is most people will remember him for that. Eric was shocked, but he wasn't the only one. The first time I heard Pat speak in his normal uh, American accent, because he was born, uh, he was born in in uh, Isletown, California, uh, but he was born there in 1932, and and he lived in America his entire life. So his you know American accent is just because born an American. It's interesting. I'm not the only one. I don't. There, there's probably lots of people out there that haven't heard his his real voice, and it's kind of a testament as to how well he also did that accent. Is we believe that's what Pat Morita actually sounds like is like Mr. Miyagi. You know, again, it, it shows even more that he put into the acting of it that he was able to surprise everybody with. Because again, you know, like I said, he was a he was a stand up comic, and then he came and did this movie and just just blew the 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 walls off with how well his performance came off so much so that he actually got nominated as best supporting actor well i'm definitely gonna have to hunt down some of his comedy work because i've got to see that because honestly the only thing i've only i've ever seen him in besides this was happy days as arnold and you get to see his his acting chops here in this next little sequence where he's nursing daniel back to health and he's giving him the little bits of tea and they're talking and he's he's gauging daniel at this point to see if he wants to teach him how to defend himself is he's going to is he going to use it for good or is he going to you know just use it for revenge and daniel even admits right off the hop like revenge that's what he wanted to do 
But Miyagi's like, no, uh, oh, I can't remember the exact quote. Or karate is here and here, but never here. And he points to his, his stomach, right? It's never in the gut. No, no. No, no. It's, not- it's, a, it's the belt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I screwed that up. You guys correct me. No, no. He he was he was talking about the belt and it's it's a, a very interesting way of doing it because even when I trained with my sensei I wasn't there for belts I was there because I was tired of getting beat up I was trying to learn karate to help defend myself and so him and I made an agreement not to test me for belts because I wasn't trying to go to tournaments or anything I really wanted real self defense so I stayed a white belt forever um, but it went back to and he even quoted it in his own way because he. He was a big fan of the Karate Kid as well. You could tell he could he would paraphrase Miyagi here and there all the time. Um, but he, he basically said the same thing. You know, he, Daniel asks him, you know, what kind of belt are you wearing? And he's like, canvas, you know, J.C. Penny. And and he kind of laughed about it. Yeah, he puts out that belt out that laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Already laugh. He's breaking out a joke and then Daniel's not really appreciating it. And he's kind of almost disenchanted with this guy. And then he goes, Daniel-san. You know, and he points to his forehead, karate here. And then he points to his heart and he goes, karate here. And then he pats his, his around his waist and he goes, but karate never here. Oh, he was indicating the belt, not yeah. the stomach. Yeah. It's, it's never <laughs> you, you don't, I mean, your intestine, maybe your small intestine it's in. Maybe, but maybe, maybe. It's a pink belt. No, Oof. but he, he was just trying to emphasize what, what karate really is. The belt is not something that can really truly be measured and and it's an it's a nice indicator but that doesn't necessarily spell out that's how good you really are you you know how good you are in your mind and in your heart and and if you're truly honest with yourself that's how good you are and so he was trying to tell him you know this isn't that's not what karate was originally about and it wasn't it wasn't about belts that didn't that didn't come until 1922 when uh, G, uh funakoshi uh revised modern karate so it could be taught in in schools and as something around the world he didn't do anything with belts up until that point as an indicator for skill so before that it was just something you did you just learned and eventually years later you were better at it and how good you were was defined by you student has surpassed his master in some cases um (laughs) sometimes yes but but, uh, it's like you said in that scene he's trying to gauge daniel and figure out what does he want and at first he's just trying to feed him on the idea you know going and talking to these guys is the best approach and daniel was just joking but he was like no it's it sounds like a sound idea and then he's like yeah no i need karate and he doesn't want to teach him at first but he relents well and i like the line he says there when he mentions it he's like finally using your head is more than just a punching bag now use head for something other than target yeah exactly yeah (laughs) yeah and but but it's it's the thing of that's the right approach what he wants to teach him is the right approach i want you to think of this as a last resort try these other things first but daniel's still focused on the idea that he needs karate and miyagi relents mostly because yeah okay maybe this would be the right way to go is teach him so he doesn't have to learn how to fight and that's something that they talk about later on on the scene where he's standing on the on the end of the boat and he's trying to again gauge where Daniel is at this point in his training. And Daniel, you know, mentions like, you know, I, I learned how to fight, so I don't have to fight. And then he goes, uh, you know, Miyagi has a hope for you yet, right? And and that's true because that's what he wanted to give him enough confidence to now not feel like he should have to. And just up in the back of this scene, you can see the leftover material from the shirt, uh, shower curtain they used. You're really stuck on that shower curtain, aren't you? <laughs> 
really, you really love that thing. I want to get wet. Hey, now. Uh... Probably has more to do with the polka dots than anything. You just like the little patterns. <laughs> the cool thing about this scene is it was all done in one take. That was another thing I really enjoy. And it's, it's something that you don't get to see in Hollywood as much. I, I mean, Every once in a while, a director will be very bold and want to do something all in one take. What what I love about it, it's not just one take, but it's one take, one angle. Mm-hmm. They barely change it. They they shift the camera as you know Miyagi stands up and walks over to him. But you know they keep them both in the scene at the same angle, and their timing is good, and it all feels natural again. You feel like it's natural conversation again, and that's what I really loved. Like I I love that they could nail chemistry down. To the point where it's so flawless that you can do a full long scene like that and have it cur- turn out properly, and it actually be a pretty in depth scene too. Like there's, it's not just a simple conversation. Like he's telling Daniel he's not going to train him, train him, and Daniel has that fit, and he's like, okay, sure, now I got to carry your weight, and you know, thanks for nothing, all this other stuff. So he's he's that hot temperedness, like you know, it's not working out for him, so he just lashes out because he's not centered, right? As we were talking earlier, so everything's built, still built up inside of him. He just hasn't found that way to properly release it. Uh, the one thing that did bug me about this scene, though, was how Miyagi barely looked at him through the whole conversation, and there's probably a reason for that. But it just—it's like you're talking to him. Look at him, dude. Look, look at him. Look at him. Yeah. Fuck sakes. Yeah, he he definitely made a point of not looking at him through it. Through it, and maybe it's because he wasn't a threat. <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, I don't. I don't think it's anything related to that. It's just maybe, no. maybe he's trying to distance distance himself from the situation because he even says that he's like that. It, you know, it's uh, yeah, where I can't remember how the line goes where he says it's he it's smart for him not to get involved so maybe yeah. maybe if he doesn't keep that eye contact and and talk with him like he always has if he just looks off in the distance maybe that's his way of discon- disconnecting himself from it yeah so he doesn't have to feel as committal when he's talking to him or or you know it's that whole thing don't look a sad puppy dog in the eyes or you're going to give him the treat i don't think it was so much that i think miyagi wanted to really hear what was in daniel's voice I think he was focusing on what he was saying because he wants to gauge what type of person he's dealing with here. Um, and it's like you said, like like this was all the whole entire thing was to gauge his response. He'd just gotten beat up. He's angry. He's upset. He's young, and he's trying to figure out what Daniel wants to do before he does something. And even then, he doesn't want to get involved. But of course, you know, Daniel kind of pulls his little thing. Oh, you know, thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. But the thing is, Miyagi's not trying to not help Daniel. He's very much trying to help him. He's just trying to help him in the right way. And he, and he knows if this kid's going to charge off and just keep picking these fights with these guys, it's just going to keep getting his butt kicked again. So at that point, he's sitting there going, well, that kind of forces my hand. It's better to try to teach you and hope you get to understand what I just tried to tell you. Because he tried it as just advice, but he had to teach him karate to get him to that point where he understood. Well, even before he decides to teach him, they decide to confront the problem. And I'm not even sure if yet Miyagi has said he'll teach him karate or just said, you know, hey, let's go talk to these other guys and find out. And then afterwards, he decided to teach them karate. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. I think I think the whole conversation with Kreese sort of forces Miyagi's hand more than he would have liked. That whole scene was very intense. Well, it forces him to do it faster. I oh, think definitely. Miyagi was going to do it one way or the other, but at that point he was like, well, we're going to do the tournament, but the tournament's three months away and he's got to try to take 
you know, a kid and turn him into somebody that can viably compete in this tournament against guys that have been doing this year after year. A kid that I didn't even realize until we watched this together that he he kind of sort of was learning karate beforehand, but by a book. He was learning book karate. That's why he looks so weird when he got into his first stance for a fight. Well, <laughs> oh, I kind of forgot about that. It's not uncommon in the 80s. That was a huge thing. I, I don't know if you guys remember comic books from back then, but if you opened them up, there was always one page in there that had an advertisement for, you know, learning the deadly mm-hmm. martial arts yeah. with Count Dante. And uh, and you could send away for it, get a book, and it was supposed to teach you martial arts. If you went to bookstores, they had lots of books that would show you images of karate. Uh, Jin Chin Funakoshi has a whole entire series based on the modern karate that is taught today. And it, and it had all the forms in it. And a lot of people tried to learn that way because karate wasn't as prevalent back then. Um, it wasn't as widespread. Now we have, you know, you can walk into almost any decently populated city and find several martial arts studios. Uh, and now with MMA being out there, you can find even more. But that wasn't the case back in the day. You'd be lucky if there was one. And a lot of people wanted to learn it because they would watch movies like The Karate Kid or they watched Bruce Lee back in the day in, in his movies and they just wanted to learn, but they, they didn't have the resources. So what did they do? Okay, first first off, yeah, of course, I remember what a comic book from the 80s looks like. Don't be stupid. Remember how you're talking to um, <laughs> Wow. Second off. That personal, didn't you? That stung a little bit. That that did. Like, excuse me? Do I remember what a comic from the 80s looks like? Come on. Like Archie? Are you talking Archie and Jughead? You you can sit down in the back and the adults are going to talk, okay? Can Um, you even read a comic book? Do you you know how to read or was it for the picture? (laughs) Just tell me. Tell me honestly. But anyways, yeah, like even one of the things that uh, Daniel's mom says when he after he stepped foot into the Cobra Kai dojo and and saw Johnny and all that. And then he's like, oh, I didn't want to go there because screw that place is terrible or whatever. And his mom replies with good because we couldn't afford it anyways. So even even if they had some good dojos around, he couldn't go in there because they couldn't afford it. So the book was really his only option. And he even said he took some classes at the Y back in New York. So unlike now where you can go to any of those places like Derek had mentioned, or even I'm sure you could find a million videos on the YouTubes that would show you how to do it, whether you're doing it properly. mm, I mean, look at how he was kicking with the book. So it's really hard to say what's going to be a finished product. Well, you remember how impressed Miyagi was with when he saw him doing those kicks? Oh, you learn karate from book? And then, and then he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he kind of nods his head and then goes and fixes the faucet. Like he was about that impressed, right? Like, and you see a really good difference between like Crease and his uh, way of doing things here as opposed to Miyagi. Um, and Miyagi definitely sees it. And I think the way he treats his students and uh, they're, they're having a spar in the middle of the, the arena when they walk in and the one kid hits the other one, knocks him down, and then, you know, has, like, the hand at the throat. Okay, done, deal. And Kree says, no, finish him. You're not done yet. Finish it. So I'm like, what, is he expecting him to rip his heart out Mortal Kombat style? Like, these are kids. And I'm sure Miyagi felt the same way. Again, that was Bobby, and it was just showing, once again, Bobby's more soft approach to things, right? And he's like, you know, what are you waiting for? Finish him. And, and then Bobby's like, okay, I'll, I'll get in there and finish him. Like he does what he's told, but he's very reluctant. And that goes back to Crease's whole stance, right? What's one of the things they say? 
no mercy. Your opponent's down, but he'll get back up. So you got to make sure he's not going to get back up. Yeah, no mercy. And he wants to really drill that into these kids' head. And then and then the dojo standoff. I'm, I mean, there's a million things that are very interesting about it. I like it for, for not just what was done in terms of their verbal confrontation, um, but many of the subtleties. Uh, it's interesting that Miyagi also relents to crease to a point because he basically says, you know, you come into my dojo and issue a challenge. You know, you don't just get to do that and walk away. And Miyagi realizes, yeah, this is still his dojo. And regardless of anything, even if this guy is a complete asshole, Miyagi is so wrapped up in the tradition of karate that he understands that a, a sensei's dojo is still his domain. And what he did is almost exactly what Kreese interpreted as. So then it forced Miyagi into a position to, yeah, I did issue a challenge, didn't I? You come into my house and you issue me a challenge, motherfucker? I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. Well, that's it, right? Like the moment they stand in there, Daniel's sitting there looking all nervous and Miyagi's sitting there standing tall, arms behind his back, standing respectful because it's it's Kreese's house, right? Yeah, and, and that's why they waited as well. They didn't try to interrupt or anything because... He's stepping into his dojo. He has to show the dojo its respect because regardless of if it's a bad teacher, it's still the bad teacher's dojo. And that's a huge thing. I, I could go to somebody else's dojo and I would still have to show proper respect even if I didn't like the sensei there. I got to walk in. I have to bow. I have to take my shoes off. All those things because it's still a sign of respect to what it what it means traditionally to these people. And so he shows that respect throughout. And then when Kreese drops the bomb... Uh, you know, in ancient Japanese culture, it was all about honor. And basically, this guy said, hey, you just walked in here in my dojo and offended my honor. I have the right to defend it. And no matter what, Miyagi was then forced into a position to have to make it into a challenge. I wonder how much Miyagi, him as a person, ha affected this entire scene. Because like the kids would be like, hey, hey, master, that's the guy who kicked our ass. He's going to look over and go, that? old man kicked all of your asses fine i'm gonna go talk to him and i wonder how much of that influenced the like oh now this frail old man is challenging me well and that's what he might feel like what it was was a direct challenge to him and his karate so crease isn't entirely wrong and he but he definitely manipulates the situation in his favor to make miyagi have to challenge him and miyagi realizes part way through that this was probably inevitable once he got to see the teacher like as soon as he saw him he knew that there was going to be this was going to be harder than he thought and then he and then when he realized who he was dealing with and he's dealing with a like he he got to walk in he got to see the pictures he got the first impression of the place right he realizes he's dealing with a vietnam veteran who obviously is racist because he, he doesn't try to hide that fact very well either and he's got a thing against Asians. Great. Perfect. Just what Yagi <laughs> needed, right? <laughs> yeah. So at that point, he's he's now in a position where no matter what, it was probably going to go that way anyway. But then, you know, Kreese makes sure he forces the issue by mentioning his dojo. You come into my dojo and issue a challenge. You don't just get to leave, old man. And then he's like, yeah, he's not wrong. So now, yes, I have to face him on the challenge. But again, you know, that verbal sparring, he delays. He deflects and delays. And he's like, get him on the mat now. And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, he's not ready for that tournament. You know, and, and this is your dojo, too much advantage. And he's like, well, where then? Tournament. And he buys him three months, right? So he still defends Daniel. And then Daniel's angry at him afterwards because he's like, I thought we were just going to tell him to back off. And it's like, 
Yeah, we did. Well, we did. Uh, you know, three months, you're not getting beat up. Congratulations, right? Yeah, that was the agreement is like, okay, fine, we'll do the tournament. And then before then, no fighting between them. They have to leave each other alone. And if that's all that he can do for the time being, hey, at least he did something. And like you were saying, it's it's that whole peaceful uh, solution to the problem where you can do it and, and not have to worry about the fights. And you look at it too, the, Daniel's looking at his ability and their ability. So that's why he's pissed because he's like, so I'm going to get trounced in three months. Thanks for putting that off. Um, that sucks. That sucks a lot. <laughs> but again, he also he also deflected the other problem, which is what he brought up to Crease. It's like one-to-one problem. Yes. Five-to-one problem. Too much to ask of anyone. And so he at least he's giving him the position that if he has to face these five again, he's going to face these five one-on-one. In a fair fight that's, you know, monitored. Like, that's the best way to do it. But no, that you knew it was going to come to a head at some point and Miyagi set it up for it to be in the best position possible. Yeah, I think it was right after this scene that he's like, yeah, okay, I gotta help him. He needs to be able to defend himself. These people will not let up just because of their personality, the way their teacher is and all that stuff. Like he's he's like, okay, no, now I understand what we're dealing with here. Let's go and uh, uh, do some chores. How about? Well, and it's interesting that they were able to work it into that because up until then, if you watched martial art movies, it was always a training montage. You're the best around. Well, Never gonna... That's a fighting montage. I'm talking about like if you watch, say, older Jackie Chan films and stuff, there was always a point where he's doing like extreme training, you know, flexibility training, push-ups, mm-hmm. you know, stance work, all that yeah. kind of stuff. They always showed a training montage. This is one of the first movies that gave it such a fresh take by turning it into house chores. And it was interesting because it shows... It shows a, a, an interesting dynamic. Now, I remember when we were watching it, I kind of joked, this is Miyagi's way of getting free labor. Yeah, it is. It's 100%. I need help trimming these trees. Do it for me. I need yeah. help fanning my walks. Do it for me. Like, Well, it was really win-win for him. Oh, exactly. He got so much shit done without having to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. At the end of each day, too, he was kind of half cut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Looks good. Looks good. All right. Keep going. Come back tomorrow and paint my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, like it, 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 you know, we joked about that, but it's interesting that he did it in the way that he did it for multiple reasons. The first one being you have to repeat the movement many, many times. Yes. And he was very insistent on that. Like when, because when he started just wiping down his cars, he's like, no, 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 no. And then he showed him, he's like, you know, wax on right hand, wax off left hand. And always circle, always, always, always circle, right? And then he was even continued to say it as he walked off. So you could tell there was a method to his madness. Daniel at the time obviously couldn't figure out what was going on. Not until, you know, they had their little come and the blows at the end there where he got fed up of doing all the chores. Yeah, he gets all pissed off and he's like, he's like, you karate training. And I was like, I'm what? I'm being your goddamn slave. That's what I'm being here, man. Now, come on. We had a deal here. What gets me is it took him so freaking long to finally say something. I'm like, he, he's, he, waxed his cars, he sanded his deck, he painted his fence, he paints his house, and then finally goes like, okay, man, I've had enough. Are you going to teach me karate? Uh, I'm sorry, he left the one corner of the house undone, and I really, really want to follow through with that. I want to look <laughs> back and fucking finish it. He, like, he leaves it, and I'm like, 
oh, come on, man. It's just like, it's literally like three feet of planking. Like, get it done. Then go yell at him. Oh, and the funny thing, he's all happy when he did the fence. Yeah, I'm all done. Looks pretty good, eh? And he's like, both sides? And you could just see his heart sink. It's like, <laughs> well, no, not yet. Yeah. And yeah. gets up and just slowly walks off. Just like, uh... it, it, it It's really great, though, because it, it also showed Miyagi something. It showed that Daniel had a measure for patience. Regardless of the fact that it kind of pissed him off and, and everything, he still went through with it because he was trying to figure out what this guy wanted from him before he could karate train. Well, and it showed you how serious he was about it, right? Exactly. He showed up every day, 6 a.m., ready to work, even exactly. though he didn't want to work. <laughs> yeah, and he'd be pissed off. This sucks. And he was not impressed with it, but he went through with it. And he did it for a while before he finally hit his breaking point. A lot of people wouldn't even gotten halfway there. I would have I would have made it through the first car and I'd be like, well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that breaking point when he finally shows him what he's been doing. Like, okay, uh Daniel son, show me wax on. And then he kind of just flops his hands and he's like, no, 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 wax on. And then he forces his hand to like do that smack and hit. Like, no, with force. Yeah. Now do it. Okay. Now show me the other thing. But And this is a great spot where his comedic, uh, uh, Pat Morita's comedic background comes into play because like, it's just so well-timed. It's funny, but it's serious at the same time. And it teaches him the lesson. Oh, yeah. Like his like his frustrated, ah, whatever. You do something wrong. And he's like, no, 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 no. Do it, do it, do it like this. <laughs> but like, he's like, you know, now, now sand the floor and he drops down and he's just like like his eyes almost roll in the back get of his up. head yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> yeah get up you know and then but but i but i i liked it because in that moment it was excellent because he was getting him to the point of understand why i made you do these motions yes now. you did them hundreds of times and yeah. i wanted it that way because this is what you now get out of it now you know the motion now you know how it feels and that last spot at the very end where he just like a hi, 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 yeah, 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 And just Daniel blocks everything and he's left standing there like, did I just freaking do that? And Miyagi's like, okay, I'm walking away now. He learned. We're good. When he finally cl clued him in as to where they were going, what they were doing, uh, Daniel has that realization, right? And he, he finally figures it out to a point like, wow, you know, that was all for my benefit as much as you know, Miyagi benefited off of free house working. <laughs> you, you bet he did. Yeah, I, I'll show you some karate. But at the same time, here's the second kind of thing that I got out of it as well. And it's when you do karate long enough, the movements you do within it, you realize you can put it to other things. I was very uncoordinated as a kid, and I had trouble, you know, kind of putting one foot in front of the other without ramming into something. Still do. I, I still have my point for yes, I, I still do it. <laughs> I'm not as yeah, bad you because I, I learned so much about how my I, I learned so much about how my body moves and I'm able to take some of that and move it into normal things I do or into other sports that I did. And I found Balance. that very interesting. So it's kind of interesting that they made it labor at the same time because you can make your karate work for you in many different ways. It doesn't just have to be directly karate, the punching, the kicking, the blocking. It's what can these movements kind of do for you in everything, right? So it's it's to add to your entire life. It's to add to the the physical enrichment of who you are. And mixed into all of these these training scenes where he's doing all the chores, there's a little spot where he's at the school and 
he's showing off to Ali that like, oh, look, I can now talk to these guys and they're not going to beat me up. So he goes up and he starts, you know, like, hey, buddies, how's it going? You can see Johnny is pissed. But it's it, it reminded me of the foghorn leghorn teasing the dog, you know, and then going to the end of his rope and just sitting there letting him bark. Eh, shut up. Yeah, I can't. It doesn't help to the effect of making Daniel look like the good guy here. <laughs> when he yeah, does that. Yeah. Kind of like <laughs> that didn't do him any any favors, really. You're kind of like on Johnny's side at this point. You're like, man, you're going to get your block <laughs> knocked off. And then yeah. I like how he's trying to, he pulls over the socials teacher or whatever and tries to get, you know, the other guys listening to his lecture from earlier on. And as soon as, you know, he's like, oh yeah, it was great. Now my friends really wanted to hear it. Can you listen to it? And they're all like, oh, no, we got class. And they all just skedaddle. And then it's <laughs> and then it's Daniel that gets stuck having to listen. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll tell you. And, and then you can pass it on to your friend. So that really oh, yeah, blew up I'll in his face. You. I love the looks on their faces, too, when he says my friends. And they all kind of glance at each other and have different looks about how they feel about what he just said. Yeah. Oh, like you, yeah. Derek, you're my best friend. Shut up. <laughs> and, and I have to comment on that story. Stupid scene where you catch a fly with chopsticks. How disgusting is that? No, I'm not going to stick those on my mouth again afterwards. Well, I'd, I'd imagine he might clean them yeah. after after that. I don't think he went straight for supper. I mean, hey, it, whatever, man. It's a little extra protein. But <laughs> seem like a very clean guy. I don't think that's a concern. Yeah, <laughs> but you can you can see that the fly is on a string in this scene, and and it's just sort of dancing around. Daniel doesn't even actually catch the fly; he catches the string. You can kind of see it dang dangle a little bit. I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure it looked great in fuzzier uh, film of 1984. Um, Probably, but for, yeah. for anything high definition, yeah, there were a few flaws. Uh, Where CGI would have come in handy, I think. Hey, man, that eight million dollar budget. Think about what it did. Oh, that's totally the thing, though, right? At 1984, things aren't as crisp as they are now, and really, who's going to be watching for that? Like, it's oh, a yeah. lot of the stuff wasn't really as under a lot of scrutiny as everything that comes out now, you got all, everybody like us sitting in front of a microphone <laughs> talking about how crappy it is and how unrealistic the fly on the string was. That's just me picking shit apart. It's what I do. It's terrible. That's gross. I like when Allie got picked up for the date that the Daniel and them were going to go on. And you see this interaction between the very rich hoity-toity parents, Daniel, and then Daniel's mom. She's waving at him from the vehicle. Hi! so east coast she she oh. so east coast so well and it's just like you, and and again you can see the difference in not only their lifestyles because you know daniel and and his mom aren't really rich and then you got these rich parents and then they find out you know he's from Reseda, and you and you instantly see the shift in their their character towards him right like, <laughs> oh yeah you're a nice young man and it's like yeah where are you from and it's like oh I'm, you know Reseda, and they're like oh yeah you just sort of see them just like uh oh yeah okay well, and they they even bring it up later when they're dancing at the at the club with uh, Ali and and the father is dancing with Ali and he's like and it's like you mean that boy from Reseda like he's got a bit of menace with that boy it's like you that lower class peasant like you're like whoa easy there buddy he even had the tracksuit and the towel wrapped around his neck and everything I love it I was like well, all just the rich all the rich people in the eighties had the towel around the neck the tracksuit well 
Well, they were just coming back from from the gym, right? Like you could tell because they were both carrying equipment and wearing yeah. appropriate clothing for that. And and it, but you're sitting there and you're just like, yeah, anything to make these people seem like they were the upper crust. They did it. And and again, another good chemistry because you would believe that that was a real couple from that time. And also the casualness of how awkward Daniel starts to become as soon as that comes out. He's kicking at something and then he kicks off a a, a brick from their flower planter and she's like, okay, it's fine. And then she, the mom gets a good dig. This is another another example of great script writing and, and good offside characters. She kind of looks at him and goes, yeah, that was supposed to have been fixed, wasn't it? Yeah. Or something like with venom. Yeah, the, the father says that. I thought you had that fixed. And, he's, and she says, like, I am, I was, I will. I thought you were going to have that fixed. I am, I was, I will. Yeah, that's what it was. And she's just like not impressed. Well, and, and but it was such a natural scene because it seems like something they've already discussed, right? And they haven't yeah. uh-huh. discussed that at all. It's just the script, but they make it seem like it's like, I thought you said you were going to have that fixed. I am. I was. I will. And it's just like, and then they go back to trying to be happy parents in front of Daniel, right? Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. They totally got divorced in a year. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and to totally top it all off is right at the end when the car won't start and they have to do that whole push until you pull the clutch oh. in. Well, and then, and then the mom doesn't help with that. Like, if you want to talk about embarrassment for Daniel, she gets out. It's like, don't worry about it. Happens all the time. She's really cute. <laughs> Yeah, she's like trying to be very friendly about it. And he's just, uh, you can tell him, he's, you just tell he just wants to die right there. He's not oh, impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to watch somebody die on the inside, Ralph Macchio played it so perfectly. It was awesome. He's just like sitting there. It's like, oh my God, <sighs> I have to do this right in front of her parents. Like, could we look any poorer? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, this is this has really gone to shit real fast. The only way this gets worse, Ma, is if we roll up with fucking carts filled with our stuff because we live on the street. Like, <laughs> yeah, he he was not impressed. I, and but that again, that beautiful chemistry that they they showed, like you could believe that they were a mom and and her son because you know she's not she's not worried about embarrassing him like a lot of moms do. They don't care. They don't care if they embarrass their son a bit, right? <laughs> nope, they don't care. No, uh, we can all relate to that shit. I'm sure. One hundred percent. This sort of leads into the scene where um, they're dancing at the the club. And then Johnny and Allie have to have a dance because the friggin' parents are assholes and meddling. We actually noticed one of our inconsistent cuts in this too. Because, oh, because this, yes. this is the point where the, the dad and Allie are dancing and you can see Johnny come up and get seated at the table and then Allie's not impressed. And then they switch angles and they go for, to the opposite side and immediately in the background, uh, Johnny and and Allie's mom are dancing right beside them. And I'm like, wait, what? How did they teleport there? What the hell? <laughs> hey, Johnny moves quick, man. It was one of the few inconsistencies of the movie. It was actually surprising. It took that long before we found one that really stood out. I think it's the only one that I noticed, to be honest with you. I don't think there was really any other cons- inconsistencies. I almost feel like there's a cut scene in there. I it, wouldn't be surprised. A bit of an extended scene. Yeah. It would make sense. But it it's, it's definitely well done. I like that uh, once he becomes aware of Daniel's presence, that's the moment that he has to take the piss out of him yeah he's dancing with ali and he seems like a perfectly nice person and all he wants to do is just have a truce like it's been months obviously they're not getting back together he just wants to at least get along with her and he says as much but the moment he sees daniel of course he goes all wicked right like he's just like this is the enemy right and you show the no mercy so he showed him no mercy in in the way that he could kisses 
alley and then we get to see a guy who dressed head to toe in white <laughs> get covered in pasta sauce yeah <laughs> like you should have known by the laws of averages that was gonna happen like murphy's law says you wear white something's gonna stain it <laughs> oh and, and when he sh- he didn't even care if he was gonna get slapped afterwards he just wanted that instant quick reaction from daniel and he got it and it was enough well it was worth it for him. oh totally you can see on the he got hit afterwards he can't he can't take the hits anymore or he can't dish out the hits anymore and and you've already seen uh, a scene where daniel tries to get a dig at them too so now it's it's how can they get at each other now without actually having um like without actually laying hands on each other but i i guess from uh every take that they did in there ali connected and hit him full-on open slap yep yeah, uh, but you know, I mean, so his reaction was honest. I love that. Well, and I, and I I like that about William Zab because he's willing to put in that bit of extra work too. Um, he didn't mind that, you know, it fed into the scene really well, and then he still went back to laughing about the whole scenario anyway, right? Yeah, it showed Donnie was willing to take it, and in a way, William Zabka was willing to take it to make it worth it. You know, oh, I, I got hit, but it was worth it. It was worth humiliating Daniel. So Daniel has been basically slapped in the face because she's kissing another guy, the old boyfriend. So he goes off to find solace in Miyagi, but Miyagi is the one who needs consoling here. He's, I guess this is the eve of his wife's death and his son? Yeah, because they... they uh yeah complications during childbirth and they were both lost and this was while he was away because he was enlisted yeah Um, and so he's part of the the second world war and all of a sudden you know he gets a letter and it's you know he's he's informed by his commanding officer because he plays out the scene um which was very moving to see like it's interesting because it starts out almost comedic because Mm -hmm. he's drinking and he's laughing and then he does the first scene and he goes you know, kill many German soldiers. Yes, sir. And then he laughs about it. And then he goes, Miyagi-san. And he's like, yes, sir. Regret to inform you that your wife and son have died. And then he and then he breaks. Yeah. And the moment that he does, this is where, like, this was the scene that actually almost got him the best supporting actor was because he shifted from what everybody expected him to kind of have that comedic moment being drunk to something very serious and this is a totally different drunk because before he uh when he was training um daniel and coming out drunk at the end of each night he was a happy drunk this is a wasted trying to forget something very hard drunk he's he's numbing the pain is what he's doing and trying it's to. like derek said the the tone of the sh- the scene completely does a 180 like he's sitting here yeah he's jovial oh drink drink and he's laughing at daniel after he takes a shot or whatever and he's choking (laughs) and his mouth is just killing him i'm sure that was actual booze in that shot maybe and then he goes off and he starts he's like you know kind of going off and being jovial and laughing about it and and then all of a sudden he starts to kind of relive that moment and you just it goes dark like it goes real dark real fast and daniel doesn't know how to process it whatsoever like you can see the look on his face like he doesn't know what to do like or even how to how to react or how to respond to it and then when miyagi passes out that's when he sort of pieces everything together and he sees a completely new light of miyagi and this is this shows the audience that not only does daniel need miyagi Miyagi really needed Daniel as well and they've sort of filled that void for each other well now that really comes up a little bit later 
knowing that Miyagi needed Daniel because then he he does a couple of things that are very surprising to Daniel. But before I get to that, just to get back to the scene, there's also kind of something else that Daniel gets out of seeing Miyagi go through his breakdown. And that's he gets to see it could be far worse. Like you think you just got humiliated because you got some spaghetti spilled on you. And here's a man like he goes through the stuff and he finds the newspaper clipping is like, here's a man who's wife and son were lost due to childbirth complications you know he lost everything he loved and he couldn't even be there for them right and so it kind of puts things into perspective in terms of a life situation to daniel like oh yeah you got some spaghetti spelled on you like walk it off right like not 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 to say that you know his situation isn't something that kind of impacts him but at the same time he's getting a real glimpse at what can really impact you and so it kind of brings him out of his his you know self-pity to a point and now there's you know, this man who he thought was this rock, who he thought was this, you know, brilliant martial artist. And all of a sudden he realizes he's got his own. And Daniel sees all too. these these little trinkets that are left over in the box. Like there's that patch. Um, uh, there's, yeah, the Medal of Honor. Um, there's all these newspaper article clippings Honor. from back in the day. So like not only did he lose his son and daughter, or sorry, his, his son and wife while he was gone, he didn't even have time to grieve because he's in a war situation right like this is this is brutal yeah and and then and then it kind of feeds into where you know you eventually go where you know a few days pass and he he's been training on his own and making sure he's really committing himself to it and they get to daniel's birthday scene and at this point you really get to understand what miyagi thinks of daniel because he's always had a respect for him one of the things i pointed out earlier was he calls him daniel-san very early and in japanese culture son is something you reserve for those who you respect because in ancient Japanese, first of all, a person's name was usually what they did for a living. And most of them did not get called son. You only got called son if you were uh, a, a lord or you were a patron to a lord or a samurai, right? Um, but you didn't get called son otherwise. So the very fact he called him Daniel-san showed uh, right away he has a respect for Daniel. And that's always present. But when we get to the birthday scene, he does two things that really stand out. Uh, the first one I think stands out more than the second one. But the first one is he gives him a gi and on the gi is a patch that Mrs. Miyagi made, his wife. And Daniel even knows this and he's like, no, are you sure, Miyagi? Like, I, I can't take this. And no, Miyagi insists. Yeah, well, and he believes deep down that's what his wife would want. But it also shows that he's extending him that kind of unofficial branch of you're not just my student, you're like the son I never got to have. And then the second gift is when he gives him the car. And that's kind of important to Miyagi too, because if you look at those vehicles, that kind of comes from the same era that uh, Miyagi grew up in. And it almost is a reminder of a time when he was happier and then he got to own those cars. So for him to give one of those cars to Daniels is something kind of, because it's one of the few things you get to see that is something he collects. Like there's no way he drives all those vehicles, but he's got all 1938 or down vehicles. And obviously he enjoys them. So it's kind of one of his pleasures. And he gives one of those away to Daniel to, to take and drive. And of course, with this car, the first thing he does is go show off to Allie. Because after the, you know, at the, the country club or whatever, he sort of has this impression that she 
has the taste for, you know, the taste for the fancier thing, which is why, you know, he figures she was kissing Johnny. So he kind of, he's like, yeah, I got a, he goes to, I got this car, you know, that's what you like. And she's like, really? I, I didn't date you because of that stuff. And that sort of led to them reconciling. So, so that car had a very huge impact on how his life proceeded at that point, I guess. Well, but Miyagi tried to remind him of the other thing too, because he wasn't really sure he should go back and talk to Ali. But that's when he reminds him before Bonsai! he drives off the car. It's like, you know, balance doesn't just apply to karate. Balance balance applies to whole life, right? And then he hands him the, the picture of them and he goes, do you understand? And he goes, yeah, I understand. Like he needed to still, regardless of what happened, either try to get the girl back or at least try to make her understand. And, and they have their argument based on his past observations. And their reconciling is actually yeah. probably one of the more natural ones I've seen in a movie. It wasn't just like they they saw each other and they were in love all over again. It was more like, no, there was a real dispute and it had to be settled and things had to be said. And, you know, he kind of had to apologize. And, there was a real and, progression and really to the conversation. Bring himself down and make himself more humble about it because he didn't know the whole situation. Well, it helped. It helped that the friend yeah. filled him in. Oh, that's right. You didn't stick around for what happened afterwards. It brought him off of his pedestal, right? Like he was he was all uppity and then when he yeah. realized she did that it kind of made him feel, feel a little sheepish right and he even goes out and says that he's like so yeah i'm a i'm a jerk i'm a jerk yeah yeah and but but that fed into the scene so perfectly because again they they have very natural conversation and again that chemistry between Allie and uh, daniel is very present e- even when they were arguing earlier in the arcade you could see that she was struggling because she wants him to understand what she's feeling and she's not quite sure how to say it to him she's more expressive right like in other ways so trying to explain herself to him and trying to fix things between him and her was a bit of a challenge for her as well and and again it comes off very teenager like very much what Mm -hmm. we all did awkwardly back in high school trying to explain ourselves to the opposite sex and uh deal with all that it it's kind of awkward and we don't know where we're going with it but at the same time it's because they needed to have her back for the final fight scene because she had to be the cheerleader (laughs) final fight begin ah the final fight god i love that there's so many you want to talk about comedic moments? That's when that's when Pat <laughs> really shined through as as Mr. Miyagi because yeah, there's a couple yeah. in there, right? First, he, first he steals the black belt out of the guy's gym bag, right? He's like, "What belt is he? Oh, oh, black belt!" And then he kind yeah, of yeah, well, he's dir- like, he's distracting the guy, and he's like, "Oh no, Miyagi!" And he's like telling him how to properly spell it, and he's his other hands like passing him passing her the yeah, belt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then they get in. Then they get inside where where the tournament area is, and then all of a sudden the official stops him. Oh no, you you know you can't come in here, and and it's like, oh well, you know she has to because she's his translator, and he says something, and I'm not even sure he's speaking Japanese at this point because it doesn't sound like Japanese to me. But he says some stuff, and it's like, what did he say? <laughs> this, oh. this this scene this scene here when I watched it with the misses and the kids got the biggest laugh because not only are they doing that back and forth, and it's sort of like you know he's saying stuff that you know right? it's making the official kind of like oh oh that's awfully nice and he's like and he goes okay you can go in uh thank you and then miyagi just looks at him and goes welcome and then he just leaves like so- <laughs> yeah the guy looks confused as fuck afterwards like that right yeah he got enough out of thank you and welcome but he still lets him go inside and, and that kind of stuff and and then of course he's asking him it's like so you know yeah. what are the rules and he goes i don't know first time you first time me i thought you knew about all these things right like <laughs> so there was a lot of moments where he got to 
finally have Pat kind of mm-hmm. break out the real comedic thing. See, he, he had bits and pieces throughout the movie, but the end fight scene, he definitely gets to throw a few zingers oh, out yes. there before they get into the great fighting montage. You're the eye of exactly. the tiger. Exactly, and one of the greatest the, songs the ever real, to go no, with it. No, uh, I can't think what? of what? It's no. the Rye or the Kaiser. That's, that's what Sloan took. Jesus, get it no, right. No, dude, dude, this isn't yeah. the UHF episode. Okay, okay, no, no, no. We we can't talk. We can't sing it. We might get sued for copyright. Okay. Well, no, that no, and no. might just get sued for assaulting people's oh, right, for right, case. Right, right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah but no i like how this this whole fight scene was so packed there was a real crowd there were like real people sparring in the background like it felt like there was an actual competition going on around them not like a couple of staged fights where it, it was all like that last fight was right yeah and it goes towards what we were saying earlier on about the schools right it's its own mm-hmm. ecosystem you got yeah. things going on here you got things going on there it's not just focused on these fights the whole area is alive there's people doing stuff it, it's yeah it's just that their fights aren't the focus of anybody but the viewers you get to see some really nice moments here between the other other kids like the the bad guy kids where they you see a bit more of their character once again who was it who had the the fight with them who was like all apologetic afterwards or am i going too far too fast well that that's bobby but actually if you want to talk interactions we can even just go back Mm. to the locker room where he's getting done up and i didn't know this for a long long time but the guy that that gets in his face let's see that was dutch and Dutch is, is kind of the psycho. Like you see it, like every time you see him, you know, his eyes are kind of wide and he's like, you know, chomping. At the bit to, well, he's chomping at the bit to get into it, right? Like he, he, you know, he, he, he lives for it. Yeah. He gets into that moment and he's really focused on his opponent and he does it again here when he approaches him and he goes, Hey, look, everyone, it's Danielle. Hello, Danielle. And, you know, he starts giving him kind of flack and stuff and then he tries to start a fight in the locker room and the only thing that stops it is the officials and then he goes remember when you get out there you're dead meat right and and then he starts laughing about it and he's really a psycho and the guy who plays him is actually chad mcqueen who is uh stephen mcqueen's son only son uh and i didn't know that and and i was like dang like i just (laughs) would never made that connection but i i thought that was a cool little tidbit in in the film well, and if you want to go even further, uh, Steve McQueen used to be a student of Bruce Lee. So I kind of always wondered how much martial arts Chad McQueen knows, because he was oh. actually a martial artist before he took on this role, I believe. And this was just part of his, you know, kind of lexicon of doing another martial arts film, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, uh, just an interesting little tidbit. But but I, I like the interaction because it showed that moment where another one of the crew could pick on him aside from just Johnny. Dutch was willing to kind of get in his face and try to start something. And once he's the enemy of one of them, he's the enemy of all of them. So exactly, that's how he views it. How Dutch views it. Daniel, once he got out onto the mat, this is the first real sparring with anybody he's done, like outside of his training with Miyagi. So the first couple goes, he goes right off the mat because he's nervous. He's unsure of his abilities. So even as the tournament progresses, he progresses in his comfort level. And I thought that was a nice thing to add, too. It's not that typical guy learns martial arts and all of a sudden he's like, ha I can uh, spin kick you in the face. It's like guy now comes he's a pro after a montage. Yeah. And what guy comes yeah. after him and the first thing he does is backs off the mat because he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not 
He's not prepared for it. He's not ready for it. He's never actually had to fight anybody yet with his karate. And he's turning around and trying to be a black belt fighting black belts after three months. And I mean, as nice (laughs) as it is, that's probably the most unrealistic thing about this movie. As nice as that idea is, it just probably would not happen. It's fairly unrealistic. Now, that's not to say one-on-one time with an actual teacher wouldn't get you more prepared than a teacher that's teaching a whole class. You're definitely more focused. But even by that point, he's still, you know, he's not really a black belt. He's a guy going in with more knowledge than he had three months ago and hoping he can make out. And the very fact that he does so well for those first few rounds is kind of a testament to how good the training was. It gets his confidence up, that's for sure. Well, it definitely gets his confidence up. And then, you know, he's getting taped up ribs and all this other stuff because he faces off with a couple of, of the gang, right? Like he has a he has a fight with a couple of them. He takes down, uh, he takes down Tommy. Mm-hmm. And he takes down Dutch in that time. And so really, he's only got kind of Bobby and Johnny to go. And through this, you get a good look at Crease. Um, this is him in a war zone. This is his turf, his territory. He is serious and in for the kill, man. He is in this for Daniel. He wants blood. I don't think I've ever watched another movie where Martin Cove has given as evil a look as he has with Crease. Like he, he's got that look that you, this is the guy you never want to fuck with. Very intense. Yeah. yeah he was, and he's standing off the side and he's got his brow real low and he's like looking from under his eyes and he has a very predatory look. And I think the perfect example of what you guys are saying is right after he tells Bobby to take Daniel out, not just fight him. And, and Bobby at first is like, well, I, I could take him. And he's like, just take him out. I don't give a shit. Is, is yeah. what, so, so Bobby goes out there, takes out Daniel's knee. First thing you see is Kreese staring at Miyagi and the look. Like he's so proud of himself, but it's just that was like, yeah, you might as well just said checkmate, right? Because he, he figures he has him right there. And he's that's that's his moment where he went in for the kill. And that could have been it right there. Like he didn't have to get back up. Well, and and that's what they all thought because, you know, before we get to the the point where um, Mr. Miyagi fixes his knee, they go back out to the tournament and, and you see, you see, you know, they're all standing there and Kreese looks like he's very, you know, comfortable and settled into the fact that there's nothing going to stop it now. You know, they're going to get the, the trophy. Mm-hmm. And then the very fact, you know, Ali runs back out and then whispers in the announcer's ear and he's like, Daniel LaRusso is going to fight. And you can see a shift in everybody's, body the yeah. cobra kai kids they all react in a certain way uh johnny looks surprised but he keeps a good chunk of his composure but it's mm-hmm. crease his reaction is worth gold fuming exactly like he he he's shocked and then at the same time very angry because he didn't care this was a war zone his one goal was to beat Daniel, he thought Daniel would have just been out in the first couple of fights, but no, he's proven himself and proven himself. So it's like, all right, fine. I have men at my disposal that I can use as cannon fodder. I don't care if one or two of my guys get disqualified from the match, if it takes him out. Well, that was totally it. He says to Bobby, you know, take him out. And Bobby's like, but I'll be disqualified. Doesn't matter. As long as one of his guys gets to the end, doesn't matter of how many guys he loses. It's not about you anymore. It's about him and his, saving his face in the dojo. Yeah, it's about the unit. It's about, you know, you sacrifice yourself for the unit, right? We, yeah. we finish the mission. And and that's the thing. Every time he speaks, as much as he's trying to talk like it's just karate to him, it's still a war. And then and then when he comes back out and, you know, he's, he's showing the determination to stay in this thing and him and Johnny are having an epic battle. And probably... 
like I'm so glad that they made that scene the penultimate fight scene because you can honestly see that this this goes back to me and Eric. We always talk about wrestling and how in wrestling you got to tell a story with two people who are doing a lot of physicality, not much talking, right? And in this scene, you see a lot of that. Daniel and and Johnny are telling a story. And you can see how pissed off Johnny is and how much he just wants to finish this twerp and get it over with. And you can see how much Daniel is kind of afraid of him, but wants to, like, he has to keep going because he has to prove a point. He has to try to get his point across. I'm not going to be that guy you're going to keep knocking down all the time. And this is where the true underdog story really kicks in for me. Because up until this point, Daniel's been kind of aggravating Johnny and vice versa. But at this point, you can see the real dichotomy of their relationship in the fact that really deep down Daniel's scared he's a lot of bravado on the outside but at this moment he's he's scared but he's trying to to be brave be strong and be in there and as he's making a point with Johnny because it's a back and forth and it's a really well done back and forth you get to the point where Johnny goes back and gets checked by a sensei and then he goes sweep the leg and of course that's an illegal move and then he kind of looks at him all all like what what did you just ask me to do because Johnny to a point still wants it to be fair mm, yeah and then he's like sweep the leg you got a problem with that and then of course johnny probably wants to say yes but he's so used to not saying anything but what sensei wants to hear he wants to please this guy and again trying not to go too much far forward with cobra kai but in a sense this is the man that he wants to impress because his his stepfather like his real father i don't know what happened to him his stepfather in his life wasn't much to him either so Kreese was really the father figure in Johnny's life, and he did everything he could to impress this man. And now they were at a crossroads, but he didn't want to say no. So he goes ahead and goes through it. And you can just see there's so many emotions that that William Zabka's portraying with Johnny out on that mat in that final face-off. And then he takes out his leg again, right? And to a point, he's regretful of that decision, but at the same time, he kind of wants the same thing his sensei wants. He wants to win. He wants to prove he's the best student for a reason. And you can see a couple of moments, though, where Johnny's even like, man, I just stay down. Stop getting back in the ring. Well, I don't want to have to kill you. This is, this is where you see that Johnny is more like, say, Bobby than he is Dutch. Because it even shows at the end when he hands him the the, the trophy, right? Because he's he's like you know good match everything, right? But he yeah, wasn't. You're, you're all right, Larusso. That says to him, "You're all yeah. right, Larusso." But that's the thing, right? Like he didn't. He doesn't want to play dirty. He doesn't want to just beat the shit out of him. And that goes. That was his character through the whole movie. There wasn't any instance where him and Daniel were at it, where went at it, where he purposely went out to hurt him. No. Well, maybe except for when they taught him after how to the fall after the and shoving him down the hill was pretty exciting like what if it hit that might be that might be the exact the, the exception to the rule here well no 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 they were they were <laughs> they were teaching him how to fall so yeah yeah first lesson but they definitely ended it at a really good spot right after he gets the trophy you get that cocky look from miyagi like yeah we fucking won i don't i don't think it's a cocky look i think he's proud you look at him it's he's overwhelmed with uh, joys, it's pride. That's totally what it is. I don't think there's any cockiness to him whatsoever. No, I I agree. It's a great sense of pride, but also just the very fact that he is surprised at Daniel. Like he even said it before he fixed his knee. He goes, he goes. You already proved point. You know, you you, you proved. You know, you have nothing left to prove. You've you've shown me. 
you've shown everybody, you know, you have heart is kind of what he's saying to him. And then he goes, yeah, I can prove I can take a beating. And, and the thing is, Daniel doesn't want to give up. And so Miyagi doesn't give up on him. And then it, and then it goes through to the point where he wins the tournament and he's so proud for multiple reasons. And probably the biggest one is it, it showed Daniel had a great change of character and he showed so much heart. And why wouldn't you be proud of that? Right? Yeah. But that wasn't even the original ending, though. There was the scene in the parking lot that was the beginning of Karate Kid 2 was the original ending. Um, but I kind of like where they ended it for this. It, it, it left it on a good high power note. Uh, it left you wondering, okay, so now what happens afterwards? Where do they go from here? Do they have a good relationship? And that all gets answered in the sequel. And and that's, that's not even... like It originally hit the cutting room floor because it's kind of like having another ending after the ending. And that's something that Hollywood really wanted to kind of avoid back in those days is like giving another ending because, you know, you watch it and then you're like, no, that's really the ending right there. So they cut it and there was no intention to use it for a second one. They didn't know they were going to do a second one. They just went, yep, perfect place to leave it. He's victorious. Roll credits, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's when the second one came up that they went looking for that footage and they're like, you know what? This would be a great way to begin it. Yeah, no, it was. But that's totally a different movie for a different time. A different day. Even though we haven't exhausted everything that we could say about this movie, I think it's about time we just sort of tied things up with our our final thoughts and our conclusion here and what we took away from the movie. Uh, Myself, I enjoyed this trip down memory lane. It really brought back that nostalgia to a time where... I, I had a good sense of moral justice and, and everything in the world made sense again. It was still a really, really good moral story, and I enjoyed that. So I think I'm going to have to give this about eight flies on a chopstick out of ten. Nice. Um, personally, I'm, I'm going to... I really enjoyed this movie. Like I said, I haven't seen it as a kid. Didn't really remember much of it. Uh, the last Karate Kid anything that I've seen was Cobra Kai one and two really got into that. Loved it. Uh, I know when we chose this, I was a little hesitant about it because uh, like I said, I thought it was going to be the typical martial arts eighties movie, but no, it was the acting was really good. Everybody was, everybody felt real. The situations felt real. There's none of this over exaggerated. Uh, this is the bully. So he's going to pick on, on Daniel for this reason. There was cases where Daniel was the bad guy. Uh, but you know, in their own eyes, they were, each of them were justified. Um, no, it was fun. It it definitely had, uh, key moments that really reminded me of my childhood. Uh, it it was a very fun ride. I'd have to give this uh, an eight illegal kicks to the face out of 10. Cause you know, that crane kick was not kosher. That was, he won. He won. Leave it alone. Don't mess with it. That's an illegal it's a, move. It's a classic. Don't mess with it. And that's and that's probably where I have a very personal connection with this film, and I, I probably have for a long time. Um, it really resonated with me what Daniel went through. It really resonated with me because of Daniel's relationship with his mother. And it really resonated me with me when I finally found karate and found my sensei, who was very much in the vein a lot like Mr. Miyagi. So, that, you know, as more more I grew up, the more this movie really meant a lot to me. And then getting to see it um, and watch it in many different lights and, and getting to view it from different angles. There's so much storytelling given within this movie that on the surface is not seen right away. But if you if you watch it enough times, there's so many messages and so many things. I, I love it. I, I 
it's one of my all-time classics. I don't know what else I could really say beyond I, I give it a nine bonsais out of ten. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And I guess from all of us here, we would like to thank you for misfiring along with us. And remember... Fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? No, theme song by Dania Vadovos. If you enjoyed your time here today, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and comment wherever podcasts live. If you would like to join the conversation, have some cinematic suggestions, or any other burning questions, please email us at synapticmisfire2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Synaptic Podcast, or find us on Facebook by searching for Synaptic Misfire. Just remember to keep your eyes open for that little green brain.